Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. So this week, we're bringing you a live episode, which was recorded on the 11th of March at the Southbank Centre in London. Anna and I were there to run a discussion about brand feminism, about the questions that arise when celebrities and companies try and use images and ideals from feminism to market their products. We were asking, can that be a force for good in terms of raising awareness or is that an unacceptable intersection of activism and capitalism? We were there as part of the Women of the World Festival and in trying to untangle this, we were joined by Zing Sheng, UK editor of Broadly, Simran Hans, film critic for The Observer, Jasmine Kapocha, a culture writer for The Debrief and Emma Gannon, a culture writer and the podcaster behind Control-Alt-Delete. Just a note about the recording. Obviously, it it was done live. Everyone piled in on every point, so we didn't always use each other's names, but hopefully you can tell who was speaking. And then afterwards, there was a really interesting Q&A. Pretty much everybody used the microphone, so you should be able to hear what they're saying, but apologies in advance if it's not always clear. Right, I think we'll start. Hello, everybody, and thank you very much for coming to the discussion of brand feminism. My name's Caroline Crampton. Uh, and I'm Anna Leskovich. Together we do a podcast called Seriously, which we do in association with The New Statesman. And um, we talk about books, movies, uh, TV shows. Uh, and that also means we spend qu- quite a lot of time um, talking about feminism in the media. Uh, kind of that comes into our discussions fairly frequently. So as you can see, today we're joined by four excellent guests to try and dig into what we mean when we say brand feminism, which we're defining roughly as when celebrities, products, companies, or even TV shows and movies make feminism a part of the brand injecting and use it to sell things to people or more accurately to women. Um, so we're joined by Jasmine Kapocha, who's a writer for The Debrief, culture writer. Um, we're joined by Zing Seng, who is uh, the UK editor of Broadly. We're joined by Simran Hans, who's um, a film critic for The Observer. And we're joined by Emma Gannon, who runs the podcast Control-Alt-Delete. She's got a book called Control-Alt-Delete as well. Um, So it's a great panel. Uh, We've all got quite a lot of thoughts on this issue. I think it's something we've all thought about quite a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, so I thought we'd kick off with the kind of initial dividing line uh, of what we're talking about. So when we talk about brand feminism, do we consider it to be a force for good because it encourages more women to get interested in feminism? It might put people in touch with that idea for the first time because they haven't encountered it by another channel. Or is it a bad thing because it co-opts what's meant to be a radical political movement to sell people things and perhaps prevents them from getting something which truly is a kind of activism that perpetuates feminist aims? So let's throw that opening question. Anyone want to kick us off? <laughs> I, I can start. I mean, for me, um, I think any awareness of feminism is a good thing. I think it's still wildly misunderstood, the actual word itself. So I think any chance to clear that up is brilliant. I think for me, it's reached a real tipping point. I, I mean, I receive about 50 press releases a day and mm. every single one wants to impact me with anything from a spa trip to some new socks. Everything is a, an excuse to be empowered and that word is 
been lost on me. The one thing I will say, just one really quick example, is I think when the Women's March happened, I know it was perfect and um, it wasn't as diverse when I went along as I thought it might be, but it, it was being Instagrammed and, I've, and that hashtag was being used millions of times all over the world. So when it comes to kind of an Instagrammable opportunity of empowerment, that was, that was a good thing, I thought. I think it kind of depends on, you know, like if you want to be really aware of the way that a movement loses power, you need to start looking at the way brands buy into it. So I think like, you know, with the press releases about how socks can empower you and how nail polish can empower you and stuff you consume and buy can somehow empower you. I think we've got to be really kind of careful and skeptical when people present us with these arguments, because I mean, let's face it, for most of our lives, we've been told by our family, by our teachers, the, don't let the things you buy down you don't buy into like consumerism you know the things you should value aren't things you can just buy off a shelf you know sometimes feminism can be in danger of being co-opted by that kind of consumerism I think it's difficult also because um, it's something that everyone wants to buy into for the always the right reasons so it's really easy to pop down to Topshop and buy a t-shirt that says feminist on it but you don't actually have to know what that means or what you're actually portraying when you're wearing that t-shirt and because it's become this like Instagrammable hashtagable thing I think we've really diluted the meaning of what it is to be a feminist and what it, what it should be to proudly wear a t-shirt that says feminism and I think through brands kind of co-opting that kind of look this is how you can be really woke and with it um the message has been quite dramatically i think as well it kind of comes down to this distinction in how you understand feminism itself and um as far as i'm concerned feminism is a sort of socialist practice all the things that are good about feminism are community and sort of equality of outcome um as much as equality of opportunity. And I think this kind of pernicious neoliberal idea, Thatcherite idea of feminism as every individual woman's right to empowerment, you know, framed around these individual choices isn't something that I feel comfortable buying into. Um, so I, I find that the sort of branding of feminism, yeah, kind of uncomfortable. Uh, one thing I'm interested in is, is how everyone on the panel um, first kind of got to grips with feminism and first um, discovered that they might be a feminist. Did, um, is that something that, you know, how did you find out about it? Was it through like a feminist text or a teacher? Or for me, I think it was maybe through seeing peers that I thought were cool being feminist. And that made me think, oh, hang on, this could might not be dry. It might be exciting and it might be cool. Um, and that did help me get into feminism. I wonder what, how everyone here kind of got involved. I think really the internet did it for me. Like the internet radicalized me. Mm. <laughs> I mean, like it was, it was websites like, and you know, websites like Jezebel weren't perfect and blogs like Tiger Beatdown weren't perfect by any means, but they were the ones who were really writing in a way that was like really succinct and like snappy and engaging. You know, you didn't have to go and like read a book, although obviously now I do. Um, you could like read this blog and find out more about, you know, what feminism was about. So I think for me, like the internet was what really kind of, brought it all straight into my bedroom with me, like scrolling through like Tumblr, looking at it on my phone, like reading it off a computer. Like that was what made me. It took me a really long time to engage with it. I remember doing it at university and like, and I was like, whoa, this is very dramatic. Like everyone piped down, feminism. oh my gosh. Um, and then it wasn't until I left uni and then started working in women's lifestyle and then kind of understanding that oh, this is what feminism means. And oh, I actually agree with some of these ideals. And it took me a really long time to kind of break that kind of dramatic, this is these insanely, you know, powerful women in literature who I didn't feel like I um, related to. And I was like, that feels really recent. And then, you know, coming into work and going, getting a bit older and reading a bit more, I was kind of like, oh, okay. So this isn't just something that has to be reserved for a certain set of women. Mm -hmm. um, and, but it took me a very long time to kind of bridge that gap. I think I went on like a group holiday and uh, I think I was around 20 it's like eight years ago and I'd, I read How to Be a Woman by Catelyn Moran and I just I remember turning on everyone on the holiday because I was like I think I'm a massive feminist I don't think any of you guys are <laughs> and I just remember reading it and being like you know just really kind of once you wake up you can't go back to sleep on just tiny well not tiny things but just modern things where you think why am I being told to spend like 50 pounds on a bra and just like all these things um, so yeah I think I describe her as the gateway I think then it opened everything up um yeah mm. that was it for me I think I mean my mum and um, shout out to her on Mother's Day um <laughs> yeah she she always sort of talked about feminist issues but didn't necessarily frame them as feminist and um 
yeah, I feel like I didn't really have that language until I got to university and started to really understand the history of it. Um, but I, I read the internet. I read Rookie Magazine and all those kind of similar things. And and yeah, I think that Zing put it nicely by saying that she was radicalised by the internet because I feel um, very similarly. Mm. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I had an English teacher at school who, because um, English was a subject I wanted to study, I used to like stay behind after class and she used to give me extras to read. And some she just started like slipping feminist books in there. <laughs> that's how I first like, read Jermaine Greer. I read a lot of like second wave stuff when I was like 16 because that's what she remembered and what she gave me. But then I went to university, sort of discovered the internet and was like, oh, this is how it, this is what it means now. And this is it kind of updated and, as you say, radicalised me. Um, I think it was interesting what um, Jasmine was saying there about the idea of um, not feeling like it was for you mm. and not getting that perception. Because something that we also wanted to come on to is this idea is, is feminism cool? And should it be cool? Should that be part of the conversation at all? Um, and association, if that's such a thing, something that companies and brands and celebrities sort of can, that's how they can sort of get their brand in, in between that. So I used to work in fashion magazines. So I worked at Days and Confused in Wonderland. And I think it's a death toll for anything to be considered cool. Mm. Because cool (laughs) by extension means that there's going to be a day one day you will be uncool and something else will come and take its place. So I think that we kind of have to move away from this idea that feminism or like social movements or, you know, like, uh, like left wing politics, something has to be cool in order to be accepted. It should just be accepted because right. (laughs) But maybe it's sort of like the opposite problem, not that feminism is something that's cool, but being unwoke or sort of being uh, not radical enough is uncool. I kind of see it more the other way around. Like it's kind of passy if you're not sufficiently engaged in the culture. I don't know if anyone agrees with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it can be quite overwhelming because things take different priorities I feel like something will go kind of crazy on the internet and then the next day no one cares so you're like I'll just lose the effort joining in on that one but I think um <laughs> no I, I I think you just have to really go to what you believe because I think you can get slightly um distracted I would say I think the trouble is that um it's really easy to perform for now um and like I said with the t-shirt and put the hashtags on it's like yep yeah, ch- check that box um because it is kind of especially on the internet it's so easy to feel included mm. um so that kind of makes it trendy or um and you know you've got all these figures in you know media who are throwing the word feminism around as if it is a trend and because it's happening so dramatically um now and so frequently it feels like a movement in its own right that's quite you know solidified in this like moment that we're going through at the moment whereas actually it's been going for a really really long time and when when it wasn't cool um it wasn't as easy to perform it because you didn't know how to talk about it I think magazines have a responsibility not to call call it trendy or cool. I I read a magazine a while ago, I won't name it, but in the editor's letter it said, feminism is so hot right now. (laughs) And I kind of thought, a flare is hot right now, like a sandal is hot. Like, feminism isn't going to go away. Mm. Well, I hope it does go away because then we won't have to talk about it and we will have achieved it. But, yeah, it's not not like a hot thing. Yeah, the idea that people want equality for anything is not a like, trendy concept that is a very good distillation of that mm-hmm. that idea yeah are there does anyone on the panel think that there are merits to like the accessibility of feminism being so much more um popular and if you want to call it you know trendy or whatever are there are there merits to that um you know like what you were saying about a gateway drug does that is well, that something that's a good thing yeah the new glamour magazines on on the shelves now and zoella has called herself a feminist in the magazine she has a million you know young people following her so i don't know if she would have called herself a feminist a few years ago because i i don't think it was like safe enough to kind of openly just say i'm a feminist even emma watson it was like feminist harry potter and i think it's kind of merging it and making it so incredibly mainstream so i think that's a positive Personally. But I mean, with with the just to be controversial, with the Emma Watson thing, her entire movement is called He for She, which is decentering women in a sort of feminist movement. So I don't know if celebrities sort of associating themselves with with feminism is necessarily bringing it to a wider audience is necessarily inherently a good thing. But it's a really really problematic thing if you don't. So like everyone was so angry at Taylor Swift and Kim Kardashian took a really long time to be like woohoo feminism until she brought emojis. 
breakfast a week for <laughs> Wednesday. Um, oh, so it's a huge problem if you don't. And if you do, you need to do it well, slash maybe better than Emma Watson did. <laughs> yeah, I think accessibility is necessarily a bad thing, but then it's like, are these people's voices, you know, the accessible people who like aren't actually going to say anything that really challenging about, you know, important issues like the gender pay gap or whatever. Like, are these people just going to drown out every single voice in a conversation? Like, are we only ever going to be stuck talking about Emma Watson and Taylor Swift and Kim Kardashian ad infinitum until the end of time before we even get to discussing some actual like proper issues, <laughs> you know? So I think that we have to be really careful about like prior like who's getting the priority here like speaking the loudest who are we paying the most attention to because a lot of the times like the meat and bones of feminism is stuff that is like very unglamorous and unsexy it's stuff like are you getting paid the same like are you working the same hours you know do you get to have the same amount of like child as like a man would you know so it's like that kind of thing where it's like i don't want feminism to be completely taken up by the most accessible voices because feminism should always be challenging because it has to be challenging it's challenging something otherwise it wouldn't be there Mm. I think that the Emma used gateway is a really good one because you want these things as a gateway to something else. So as long as that path leads away from the gate into other things, into, as we've all described, you know, further reading more, uh, perhaps harder to find um, advocates and activists to, but perhaps that path doesn't always exist. Mm. Um, but given that, we wanted to ask everyone whether there were any sort of brand feminism brands or corporations that you will admit liking. A couple that came up when Anna and I were brainstorming about this was Glossier is a really interesting example. Um, the skincare and makeup brand, if you're not familiar with, that really does centre a particular idea of womanhood and maybe they hint feminism yeah, as well. Yeah, they're not, they're not really openly being like, no. this is feminist makeup. They're just kind of, I think, feminist adjacent in some way. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I mean, me and Simran actually went to the Glossier pop-up. Why are you bringing this up, Anna? <laughs> <Didn't we? laughs> Can't, you know, none of us are free from sin. <laughs> but I wonder if there are any that, yeah, that people do like, as Caroline says. For me, it's when I dig deeper and I realise they're kind of putting their money where their mouth is. Um, I was asked to participate in a brand partnership a while ago um, and it, they were cool T-shirts, fine, looked into it and I was like, are any of the proceeds from this, because you're co-opting the Women's March, it was all about empowerment. And um, I was just like, you're not donating anyone. No one is benefiting this and that's really important to me. I mean, things like uh, hashtag like a girl, um, I don't think that was perfect, but they did give a lot of money and they did actually set up actionable sort of um, results from it. And with Dove, they're not perfect. They do work with the YMCA charities to go into schools to talk to people, try and make people feel better. So as long as they're putting money somewhere and they're making action, I'm kind of OK with it. Yeah, I think there was one recently. Um, there's an, a Los Angeles-based clothing brand called Reformin. Um, and I think someone tweeted at them recently with the whole gun control debate going on in the US saying, DHL isn't going to cancel its partnership with the NRA. What are you going to do about it? Because I've noticed all your packages are shipped by DHL. And then they immediately responded and said, we're looking to it and we would not continue this partnership if we think that, you know. So I think that's really, that's really good. You know, that's kind of how you put your money where your mouth is, where you're like willing to be caught out. But then, you know, if someone says uh, you're doing something wrong here, please change it and you clear it and you like put your money where your mouth is and maybe cut off a lucrative contract. That's I think that's a really good sign. Mm, totally. Yeah, because I think none of us here would want, we don't want companies run by unfeminist people. You know, it's uh, a, a general progressive aim is a very good thing. It's where it crosses the line into, like Emma was saying, you know, this profits us, but we're using something that should profit others to do mm. that. I yeah. think where you problems yeah. money is a big part of this I think mm. you know if I can afford a 80 pound t-shirt from Topshop that says I'm a feminist like am I more of a feminist than someone that can't afford that t-shirt that really sits badly with me and I think there's been lots of things recently in Vogue or whatever when they've done like a gallery of like t-shirts to buy some of which are like over a hundred pounds how to dress like a feminist I'm like mm -hmm. that is insane <laughs> um so I draw a line at that yeah yeah. I um, oh, you go ahead. Oh, I was saying there's something really, there's a really interesting debate going on with International Women's Day. So International Women's Day was originally founded as Women's Day by a bunch of socialist workers. Um, and it was all about garment rights and, you know, women who were being forced to work in horrendous sweatshops and like dying in fires and things like that in New York. And, you know, now International Women's Day, it's like you see all these brands kind of putting out T-shirts and like International Women's Day edits and stuff. And you have to ask yourself how many of these brands are being made by women in sweatshops in other countries. 
countries. Mm. Not the original purpose of the day, is it? Yeah, and it's not the original purpose of the day. And in fact, you know, maybe we should start thinking about it more as international working as it is about, you know, stuff like that, like workers' rights. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, And that intersection, I think, between feminism and capitalism, I think, is really... Yeah. What lies at the heart of all of this, isn't it? That yeah. This idea that um, if a t-shirt costs £100, what's stopping you buying a normal t-shirt for £20 and donating £80 mm-hmm. to a mm-hmm. cause that you think advancing your aims? You know, that's not something I often see magazines telling me to do. I have a quote that I wanted to, about, um, to bring out about feminist t-shirts, which is something we've kind of touched on quite a lot. So Arabil Sakardi in the Hairpin writes, Clothing marketed as feminist apparel is a joke. It's all a joke. It's a beautiful, elaborate joke, one tied to capitalism and, capitalism and production and visibility and effects. It's not just a T-shirt. It never was. And fashion was never just about how good you feel in your clothes. This is the way of the commodity fetish, the inside joke of fashion and marks. So I wonder, how, how do people feel more generally about feminist T-shirts? What Zing was saying is amazing there. Does anyone own any? I mean, we're all wearing our wow pins right now. <laughs> um, but does anyone know, own feminist T-shirts? How do we feel about them as a concept? Does anyone in the audience own a feminist T-shirt? I, just, I was interested to see a few people. Yeah. yeah. I would like to <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can get you one somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's the thing because I feel weird pressure to to buy them, and I don't think I own any. Um, don't check my wardrobe. Um, but I feel this weird pressure to be part of it and perform it because I know I'm a feminist, but I feel like I have to prove it to everyone. Um, and even on International Women's Day on Instagram, obviously it's like scrolls of like, look at me and my mom, and you know, women, woo. Um, but I was like, oh, I don't really know what to post, but if I don't post something, does that mean, mean I'm not a feminist? Um, and oh my gosh, I'm, I haven't um, Snapchatted a picture of me in my like, I love women t-shirt. So that obviously means that I'm a really bad feminist. Um, but like, I have weird pressure to perform it, to prove to everyone that like, this is my view. I don't know if anyone else feels. I, I, I feel the that. opposite. Really? I, yeah, I felt really. I I, in, I put an Instagram post up of me at the women's march, and I had a sign, and I felt really icky that I didn't it. Really? Yeah, I felt like I should just have been on the march, not really told anyone. Mm. Don't know. I was at an international women's day event last week, and they were giving out Times Up T-shirts. And uh, it, for anyone who does, isn't familiar, that's the. Um, Harvey Weinstein, Me Too, kind of film industry stuff to do with feminism at the moment. And I didn't take one because I just felt weird about it. Why do I need a T-shirt that say that says Time's Up to kind of show that I uh, broad support the movement? No. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was something, yeah, performative about it that, that I just... I didn't want to check into. Yeah, it's kind of like if you didn't Instagram yourself going on the Women's March, were you even there kind of thing? Yeah. And I think that's like the real issue. It's like, why why do we feel compelled to like perform all these things in public just so we can, what, like, I mean, prove our credentials or like assert the fact that we're down for the cause? Or, you know, I think there's a real element of like performativity here. And this doesn't extend to them, of course. It extends to literally everything, like performing a good night out because you're Snapchatting it all the time. So I kind of think that, you know, this is a problem that pretty much everyone in the 21st century has to deal with like why do we feel the need to have to perform our politics and our Fridays and our relationships on every single social media platform going I think what we're saying here is actually a real mark of how far feminism has come in terms of awareness though because I remember my mum telling me stories about when she went to university in the 60s she'd have I don't know if it was a t-shirt or a jumper, but she did have something that said like feminist on it. And she wore it on campus in the first week and she made several friends who felt the same about politics as her and so on. And it kind of innate, a bit like, you know, if you go to a convention fan wearing your particular thing, you're wearing the thing. It performed that function because so many people were not willing to be open about that. Whereas I feel like we're now more in a position where you sort of, if if you are not a feminist, you need to justify why. Otherwise, I'm assuming that you are that's we've moved to a different default perhaps Mm -hmm. and I think the signifiers change like the word feminism doesn't mean the same thing as it might have meant in the 70s I think the definition is sort of more broad now more malleable and maybe if you saw another girl or guy or whoever wearing a a sort of I'm a feminist t-shirt whatever I think um you wouldn't necessarily assume that that person's the same praxis as you Mm -hmm. definitely 
Yeah, I think that's true. Um, so we talked a bit about already about the kind of um, the pitfalls of what happens when, for want of a better word, feminism becomes trendy or or viral. Are there any others panel have encountered that we we should all be looking out for as critical observers? Things that have gone wrong. Yeah, there's one. Um, example a while ago which was actually a really lovely idea and then it kind of got ruined uh, brands taking over was when um you were encouraged to wear a safety pin on the tube to show that it was you were kind of like a safe person and and um you you kind of had someone's back in terms of um kind of refugees and people knowing that you're a safe to talk to and um again it was one of those things where a, a diamond encrusted safety pin was then being sold in the fashion magazines off the back of this movement and I just that it's just there's so many of these examples but I think it's a shame because I think the movements itself they can be great so why can't we find other ways of celebrating them and championing them and writing about them in magazines without having to sell something mm. I don't know if that's ever going to end mm, yeah I definitely think um, a personal pair hit of mine is certainly the jeweled or designer version of the original thing like you see that all the time that's definitely it um Simran did you want to come in on that um well not so much on that but I guess a related point is as this sort of conversation extends to cultural criticism I think you know labeling certain celebrities as feminist or uh, you know trying to decide that their brand is feminist can actually sort of detract from the work I think someone like Lena Dunham is a very cliched um, but good example of how this can kind of go wrong because as a figurehead she has messed up a lot of times she's done things that you know are very annoying but as an artist and as a filmmaker and you know as someone who's a tv showrunner um, I think a lot of the work that she's created is brilliant but if the barometer for whether it's good is whether it's feminist um, I don't know how productive that is and I don't know how sort of helpful that is in actually talking about feminist concerns. I think that's definitely true. That's something, um, Lena Dunham is something Anna and I've talked about on this podcast a lot before because we both feel that her work does stand on its own a lot of the time but that it's impossible to really discuss it. I've even had this when going to like launches for new series of girls is coming out and the uh, distributor put on a screening and you go along and for like two hours you just have the most blissful time because you just sit in the dark and you watch the show and then you come out and you have to talk about it with people and the first thing they want to talk about is you know did Lena Dunham do something bad with her dog on Instagram or something Mm. (laughs) but I really enjoyed the tv show. (laughs) Yeah I think more generally um celebrity icons icons mm. is something that I quite I'm quite interested to talk about because we talked a lot about how um brands try and sell you feminism what happens when celebrities or musicians or artists include feminism in their sort of personal brands and in their work is it a good thing to have these icons to look up to like I'm sure everyone on the panel will have examples of people that they really like they also think have a really good feminist praxis but also um does it is it always kind of doomed to fail is every human person doomed to be problematic and does that mean if we (laughs) sell it yeah but kind of if we eyes people as feminist icons does that just mean that um you know again we're putting the emphasis on on the individual in that kind of as Simran said neoliberal way I don't know if I have idols anymore I feel like growing up you'd like have Spice Girls on the wall and be like my idols now actually I kind of idolize well, even, I don't know if that's the right word, but I kind of look up to, ironically, like teens now, because they are feminists, but, and they've grown up being feminists. I interviewed Rowan Blanchard recently, who was 14, 15. She's a, such a feminist. I didn't even know what feminism was at 14. And I think that um, I'm actually looking at the young, much younger generation now to actually, like, for guidance. I'm like, what are you guys thinking? Because I actually think I'd be more aligned with what you're stirring up rather than um, some traditional icons that I should... Yeah, I just did a panel with like some of the teenage ambassadors for the festival. Um, uh, It was called like Badass Girls from History and I did like a panel interview with some of them. And these girls were like 16 to 18, you know, they literally just finished fresh from their GCSEs and they were saying stuff like, oh yeah, you know, so I read like Betty Friedan's like The Feminine Mystique (laughs) and, you know, I really really like, you know, I really like Simone de Beauvoir and what she's saying and I was like, oh my God, like... (laughs) Like, when I was your age, I literally read Harry Potter repeatedly over and over again. 
<laughs> which is you know which which has feminist like angles definitely but it's not Simone <laughs> so yeah I, I do agree I think that you know younger women the ones that I've met are just incredible and I really hope that they don't come into this world and get jaded by how horrible all the grown-ups are because I'm I'm really relying on them <laughs> totally yeah I think that makes sense and uh, I don't know I think even I find myself even five years ago I think I cared whether a celebrity I liked said in an interview whether they were a feminist or not and I just don't care anymore it's not it's not what they're for and it's not why I enjoy what they make it's actually been really liberating for me to just realize that I just I'd rather they didn't talk about it to be honest it's like your, it's your own private business what you choose to donate to and like campaign for please don't like dilute your work with it I- I think there's still an expectation though that like if you see um, a celeb on a chat show or something that at some point in the conversation it's like oh let me just slip feminism in yeah. oh I'm, I'm with the team um, and if someone doesn't then it's kind of like a weird I don't know even though that's not something I personally in my um, understanding of feminism and how I want it to you know travel and grow um, it still feels a bit odd if that's not part of the conversation and I think you know it could be media's fault and how quick we are to like put feminism in a headline because that's it's trendy now but I, I still have this weird expectation for celebrities to speak about it because it is so big and public at the moment for me I feel like I need more, more men to, to mm. talk about it still because um that that does matter to me you know if, if someone says and not necessarily says I'm a feminist I mean I remember when Bill Bailey wore that I'm a feminist t-shirt and I just, it was, that was good, I thought. Um, it looked like he made it himself, so. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, with uh, Tim- Timothy Chalamet mm. um, donated all the money from his wages from the Woody Allen film, I kind of felt like that was quite prominent. And actually, I, I do respect him more for doing that. Mm. I don't know whether anyone else does. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd, I feel like he was presented with a series of bad options, uh, having like done a film with a director that he didn't want to endorse. And I think he picked the best bad option and did so publicly, hopefully, in a way to sort of shame people who hadn't done that into thinking that maybe it was something you should do. Yeah, I felt the same about um, the story about Jessica Chastain helping Octavia Spencer negotiate um, equal pay for the film that they're working on. Like, absolutely she should have done that. I would like it to not be like global news that she did do it, but that's definitely a case of someone kind of literally putting their money where their mouth is, and mm. that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, it's another one of those questions about perf- like things being performative, isn't it? And it's obviously so impossible to tell. And I think everyone has personal preferences where they're like, yeah, I actually like this. I liked that Beyonce performed in front of a t- you know thirty foot feminist sign, or um, I didn't like you know that. Taylor Swift went for the a whole uh, like a girl power thing. I feel like it's so personal and it's so to tell when things are actually performed femini- feminism and when they're not. And also, I think part of the problem is not to be an idiot, but like under capitalism, everything costs money. And if someone writes a you know a feminist book that retails, are we like, oh, this is co-opting feminism and back to it, selling it back to us? No, probably not. It's really difficult for me to know where to draw the line. Sometimes I think in my mind about what is problematic and what isn't. Um, and I guess. That's just inherent in our capitalist society that you can't always make those distinctions so clearly. But I guess like problematic just means something has problems. It doesn't mean that it's a write-off mm. or it doesn't have any redeeming qualities. It just means that it's not perfect. Um, and so I think as long as we're prepared to kind of examine like where the problem is or like what we mean when we say problematic rather than just sort of deciding that something isn't perfect and so we're just going to sort of check out of it I think it's it's all right do you do you think that word's lost meaning problem of course it's a total cliche but (laughs) yeah it's a very problematic word (laughs) (laughs) another word that we've touched on a bit that I'd quite like to talk about because it is often as Anna said feminism adjacent is the word empowerment um Emma mentioned lots of press releases that she gets that offer her feminism empowerment through products. Um, do we think that word has any me- any sort of qualities we can rescue or is it better left in the past and we'll find a different way of expressing that concept? I literally don't even know what that word means anymore because I've been so like inured to it from like press releases and like sanitary pads trying to empower women's <laughs> periods and like it 
and the worst one is when they put an F in front of empower and they think they're being really smart, like, like empower, no, empowerment. Yeah, no, I must, get, I must be on a terrible press mailing list um, because I get that all the time. And I think that, yeah, that word's kind of lost on meaning. It's kind of now become, it feels like to me, marketing jargon now, you know, like when people talk about, hey, content, content's really important. That to me, it kind of has the same connotations to me as empowerment because it just feels like jargon, like marketing copy. Mm. I noticed that on the cover of your book saying the independent has written, I want to call this empowering, but I doesn't do it justice. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought that's so funny that they that that, that proves, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. You, you want to say it's empowering, but it feels like that's not a word anymore. But empowered to do what? Mm. Like what what does it even mean? Strip it- off and be covered in moisturizer. <laughs> <laughs> And it's another one where it's all about individuals again, where it's like, okay, I'm going to empower myself as a, as a person, as one human being, rather than being like, we're going to empower a group of disenfranchised people and make sure that they have, you know, the equal opportunity or whatever um, as everyone else. And that for me, this shift where it's all about being a feminist as an individual. And um, I read We Were Feminists once by Andy and she said something like, these days I'm less interested in who's calling themselves a feminist and what they're doing with feminism. And I don't know if people relate to that quote at all. Yeah, I feel like feminism has to become more about the action and not the label. I just kind of think that if you are, you need to be doing feminism, you need to be doing something like an action or like, you know, you can't just be, so you can't just be claiming that label without any proof to show for it. Like what, like if you call yourself a feminist, like what have you actually done? Mm-hmm. I feel like the new one now is like kind of activism is now being turned into things. I mean, you know, like the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad, it's sort of like whatever's trendy, let's try and do it. But, but I think now it's cool to call yourself an activist. Whereas back in the day, I think that would be like a really scary word, you know, like chuck paint, red paint over someone's fur coat or something. And now it's just these like tiny, subtle ways that you can be an activist. And I think now being a feminist also means being an activist. You can't just feminist, you have to be doing something, however small. Yeah, I think that something related to that, that comes back to what you were saying about your feelings about Instagramming yourself at the Women's March, though, because I sometimes feel like that, you know, I feel being the absolute worst, terrible, bad taste to like Instagram myself donating things to a food bank. Look how great I am. You know, that would be absolutely dreadful. We can all agree on that. So is it the same if I, you know, go and volunteer at my local domestic violence shelter? Should I be like snapping myself to show people that I'm doing something? Or is it enough that I know that I'm doing that? Mm. Well, I Instagrammed myself recently at the Help Refugees pop-up because the whole point was you go there and you take a picture and you Instagram and Mm. you, you know, the thing is, is like, if you have thousands of followers on Instagram... I, you know, I think you've got a bit of a responsibility there to pass on something that other people might want to do themselves. So I think I'm really torn on it because I, I think writing a book or writing a magazine is a way of getting your opinion out there. Why is it different from putting an Instagram post up with a caption? I suppose the point is action, isn't it? If you're asking people to take an action, if I'm saying, come and join me next week at this time, I'll be here that's one thing but just say hey look at me I did this I suppose that's a slightly different Mm. I know Jasmine you said you were feeling the pressure sometimes to kind of perform that but I think it's also really easy to be called out particularly I mean nowhere near as I have like two followers Um, (laughs) so that's fine and I Instagram myself at the women's march or not then I feel like if I do it wrong I'll be called out for it and I remember when the was it um, in t- and um, Beyonce went back huge Beyonce fan um, and um, her Instagram no not on her personal Instagram it was like one of the Beehive accounts um, followed them all they're great um, and it was pictures of her um, helping giving out relief and letting out food and blah 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 and I was like oh that's nice you know but like I didn't feel weird about the fact that she'd proved had this like physical thing to prove that she'd been doing something really good um, because it wasn't her showing off to our to her followers someone who'd oh look here's Beyonce doing something nice mm-hmm. whereas I think there's kind of a different vibe if you know you're constantly like look how good I'm doing look how good I'm doing look at me with the people mm-hmm. um it just feels really superficial I'm not saying that it always is but I don't know if I'm just too mistrust Instagram. <laughs> hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So is that a good point to open this up to questions from the audience? And um, We've got a couple of roving microphones. If you could wait until the microphone gets to you, because then we can actually use your voice in the podcast. Thank you, Rich. Um, do you want to start with someone on the front there? Hello. Um, I was just wondering, you've spoken a lot about the kind of fallibility of celebrities and brands, I suppose, piggybacking feminism. I'd be really interested to hear how you think celebrities or brands could do it well. What would that look like for you? Mm. Mm, I feel like absolutely if you're clothing like let's say for example you're talking about a clothing brand and you want to say I'm a feminist clothing brand like put up your factory sets like put up your supply chain like let people know that this is where you're sourcing your materials from these are the people that who are making the clothes um in a really odd way American Apparel started this first but then completely torpedoed it by obviously having Dov Chani be the face of the brand um you know but it's that kind of thing where it's like just openness and transparency and where you're not actually saying something like oh judge me because I'm a feminist label but you're actually putting it all out there and you're letting people know okay we're putting it all out there judge us tell us whether we match up to the ideals we put ourselves to mm-hmm. because I think that's the only way people can people can trust you nowadays because there's so much kind of like skepticism and mistrust going around especially flying around companies and big brands that you can't think but just put yourself out there and let people make the judgment call for themselves. I think that's right. I think in terms of individual celebrities, I've really just recently come back to money because we invest a lot of and often our money into what celebrities do. We help make them rich. So for all that I have criticisms of Emma Watson, she gave a million pounds to the UK Times Up Legal Defence Fund. And I thought saw that and I thought, well, yeah, that that is you doing you doing something and doing the power we've given you to do the right thing. So I, I have to say, I really do look at the list of donors now to these yeah. kind of things. If you've got financial power, redistribute it. That's yeah. just a basic and amazing thing you can do. Mm. I'm a big fan of Bumble, Whitney Wolf's um, kind of Tinder, but for girls. But she uh, obviously is earning like millions off it, has this massive tech company, is employing brilliant tech engineers, um, mostly women. And also on International Women's Day, I think, or maybe it was another occasion, when people were swiping, you could swipe to sort of donate to Women for Women International Charity. And it was almost like use, like building tech yourself and getting money yourself. That is a feminist move because the more we know about tech and the more we know about having lots of money, the more I feel it will be like an equal space. I just thought that was a great partnership because it was using the tech in a way that was native to you, but also donating to charities as you go. I'd say it'd be quite nice if brands who are going to use terms like feminism and empowerment define it, um, rather than just plastering it on T-shirts and on, you know, to make us buy it. Like, define feminism is please, Dove, Topshop, whatever, tell me what that is and then buy into it. Some very good points there. Um, another question. Uh, woman over there on the side. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. Can you hear me? Yes. I have uh, so two questions related to brands. One, I'd like to know the panel opinion about the unstereotype campaign. Uh, unstereotype. Stereotype campaign. Unstereotype campaign. And the other one is I have worked for a consumer goods company that does work with brands and social mission, etc. And 
what I felt difficult, now I work for a foundation, so I'm on the other side. What I felt very difficult is the idea of uh, backing up social movements, etc. is always to use the movement to kind of help to sell the brand, necessarily to have the brand to help raise awareness. So now I work in a foundation doing work around prevention of violence against women, and I've heard people saying, ah, this is not sexy. Mm -hmm. So how we go about that? Because some of the issues that we're dealing, or most of the issues we're dealing, are not sexy. But brands could help raise awareness about that. So how, how we could do that? Yeah, Zing, about earlier, weren't you? It's a, it's a really tricky one. How do you make those issues seem more exciting, make people want to put their money there? And Yeah, one really, one organisation, not a foundation as such, who are doing a really good job in bringing domestic violence and violence against women to the top of the agenda is Sisters Uncut. Mm, so <laughs> is there a sister there? Um, so they are so they raise awareness of domestic violence and uh, shelters closing in the UK and they have done so many things like they've taken over Holloway prison they've um, squatted they've squatted like abandoned flats they've invaded red carpet premieres sort to raise awareness of domestic violence against women and I think they're a really good example of how you know the issue might be difficult and unwieldy to grasp but there are very simple effective ways activists can actually do, can actually do to kind of back to everyone's agenda by doing like really big stunts that also still pay full respect and understand the complexity of the issue they're trying to raise awareness of. Mm, totally. Yeah, I think it's a really tough one because lots of causes that we're fighting for are by definition things that are quite depressing and quite, you know, they're not ever going to seem like fun and sexy. So it's it's really tough, but it's great to see people like Sisters Uncut doing that that work really well. I'd say, because that's a good point. Obviously, the, the fact that you would have an ambassador or someone to take the campaign out is obviously a traditional marketing, marketing technique that's always had to be a certain way. But I think that the, the role of someone with influence is totally changing now and it's not just plastering a traditional celebrity on the posters, but it's looking for someone who, and I'm not talking about influencers, I'm talking about someone with real influence in like a small, very niche targeted community. And then that can kind of then go out from there. It's like the person to represent your campaign now, I think is so, so important. Yeah, I've heard people say this with, um, if you've got a campaign to change legislation or so on, you, if you choose rightly, you only need one MP to initially agree with you because they will persuade the others that you need to vote for it. So if you find the right person in the right situation, they can change everything. You don't necessarily need 30,000 people to turn up to a rally. And another question. Uh, let's go over there at the back if we could. Hi, um, everybody. Hi. Hi, Sophie. Hi. Hello, everyone. Um, I was just wondering, so uh, I was thinking a bit about um, Brewdog's IPA, the pink IPA, <laughs> that they actually really, really badly packaged by putting pink on the label but saying they weren't going to adhere to stereotypes. But by the same token, they they actually do, they charge women 20% of it, and they, um, which, I mean, isn't the best thing, but the, they also... Um, 20% of the proceeds they get from all sales go towards women's charities and it seems as if it's not been marketed very well. But I was just wondering, kind of in the fallout following and especially social media calling out and things ending up trending and everything, um, do we end up coming down a lot harder on brands and maybe even people, uh, maybe even politicians who try to be feminist rather than the ones that don't even begin to think about it? I think about this all the time. Like I think several of us who just in this hour have used the phrase it's not perfect but and I want things to not be able to be perfect because I want people to be able to try and sort of stick their neck out and actually attempt things and yet yeah, it doesn't always go well that was a very good example of it not going well but ultimately they wanted to raise some awareness donate some money to charity and charge women something that men have to pay full price for and those are all things I can get on board with. So yeah, I'd be interested to know if anyone else has any thoughts about this this idea of that you don't have to be perfect, but you should try. I was, kind of... was that an ironic pink? <laughs> no. Oh, oh, I don't know then. Well, I, know, I, think, it was, kind of I think it was one of those, at what point does the pink irony just yeah. become pink? You know? <laughs> I kind of feel like I have more sympathy when individuals and politicians mess up. But if it's a brand, I'm like, come on, guys. You, I mean, how many people does Brewdog employ? Probably hundreds of people. And it must have gone through how many stages of planning and meetings for, it, for everyone to be like, sick, this is, a, this is a sick idea. Well done. Well done, John. Good job, Tom. <laughs> and you know it was like that. <laughs> 
And it's like, well, then I have a little bit less sympathy because there could have been one person to be like, guys, just maybe let's rethink this. <laughs> maybe there are other ways of achieving the yeah. aims. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, yeah, this, with individuals, I feel like feminism for me anyway, a lot of like being feminist for me is about listening and learning and trying things. And, and obviously none of us sat here can be like, yeah, we're the perfect feminists. We know everything there is to know about like women and gender and power. Like we're learning all the time. So I, yeah, I do feel bad when people visibly fail. Um, but then the problem is if people are really, really defensive and not open to, to learning from their mistakes, that's when I think things can become a bit problematic in terms of, sorry to use that word. <laughs> uh, uh, that's when we get problems occurring. There's div- divides happen in a way that's a bit more entrenched. It makes means that the movement splits a bit more. I like it when people make mistakes and they're like, cool, I've maybe learned something or I've at least listened to what you had to say about it. Also, there's so many there's so many examples of when other people have messed up and I've been so used to being that person mm. and I'm like thank god I've seen you do that I'm not going to do that now and I yeah, think sometimes yeah so I think sometimes big scale um errors like that are actually quite good for other brands to kind of learn from and it's like you've taken one from the team and they won't do it again we have really high expectations though don't we of because if you're going to do it then you better do it right right because feminism is huge and feminism is crucial um and i think we're not very good as a society is at being very forgiving when i mean it didn't need to be pink like that was ridiculous (laughs) but like we're we're not forgiving by nature so and i think particularly now where the state of feminism and performative feminism and social media feminism everyone is a feminist well can pretend to be um and i think because we're also aware that oh, it's quite easy to pretend we expect more and i think we're right to expect better we should be a little bit less a little bit more forgiving but i think we're right to expect more because otherwise it won't get better mm. and i think the thing with like brew dog is ultimately the only reason they're doing this is to sell more beer mm. right and like, we all know that customer women exactly so i feel again i feel less sympathy with with them as a brand because it's like okay you tried to sell us something you wanted us to like part with our cash and give you it and you got it wrong, so idiot. Like now they've got a shout out on a podcast. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I'll cut this bit out. <laughs> um, another question. Ask that woman at the, in the back row there. Um, it was just kind of in response to that, really. Um, the thing is, there are some small businesses, um, you know, women that that are right, that are you know independent bookshops, which we don't have many left of. You know, um, and maybe we, if if as feminists, we need to be shopping in those places, um, not Waterstones or Foils. I've given them a shout out, but you know, <laughs> Houseman's in Kings Cross, or you know, local women collectives that sell the badges or sell the t-shirts. You know, th- there's a difference between buying a t-shirt from them or buying a t-shirt from Topshop who don't pay their staff and don't pay tax in this country. Um, and I think there's a link there as well. If you think about the literature that's available, like children's books, when my cousins were born 13, 14 years ago, I couldn't have bought them a book about feminism or feminist icons. Now I can, but I won't buy it from Waterstones. I mean, I have once in the past, but <laughs> forgive um, But I'll try and buy it in the radical independent bookshops that I know exist. So... Um, I think looking great to see all the stuff out there, but I think we have the consumer power and it goes back to that feminism and socialism, you know, things are interconnected and we we we've really got to remember that. I think that's absolutely right. It comes with what I was trying to say before about money and like you if you have money, use it in concert with your your aims and ideals really and I think we're all really okay with the fact that being a feminist means doing extra work and so if it's harder to get to the independent bookshop you should still do that I think that's how I'd see that anyone else want to comment on that I think there is an onus like there's a responsibility to I think it's easy to forget that you need to go searching for what mm. feminism actually mm. is. You need to go actually looking for these um, independent shops, which we should. And I'd like to think most of us in this room who have chosen to come to this panel would have that awareness. But a lot of people don't. And we want feminism and we want lazy feminism. And if that means going down to Topshop down the road to buy a T-shirt and it's easy to take a picture of it, then more people are going to do that. Um, and I think it feels really inaccessible. Like, even when I was first learning about feminism, I was kind of like, well, this is just, this is very white and very um, separate and not something that I can assimilate to. But you kind of have to look at yourself and be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to take that extra bus to go spend the money the right... Um, and it is putting yourself in that position and act- actively choosing to do it properly. I think we've time for a couple more questions. we take one from the back over there, if we could... Thank you. Uh, 
Just off the back of that comment around um, the feminist bookshops and also the hashtag feminism, and when they're most starting to question runs, you know, what is their feminist approach? Can one of you start a feminist index, please? Um, so let's list the companies that do do that, because we've had a lot of the names and the brands thrown around that, that we would perhaps, we should avoid. But if there's just one place, maybe I'm just a bit old school when I used to have the yellow pages, I don't know. <laughs> and just to have like one website, one big list, if you want to make a difference in places you want to go, where should we be spending our money? Mm. You know, I think you ladies have got quite a lot of influence. You work in the media. You mentioned some fashion brands that I'd never heard of. And so somebody please make the index. That's, that's, that's a question. A good Is idea. that a good thing? Or does, does that not already exist? There's, there's, an, app. there's an app? There's What's the app, app called? called? Buy Up. Buy Up? Yeah. It's a little bit more American, as do I. Um, but it's used a little bit more American for some global companies as well. So it's a start, but it probably... Just, hi. There probably needs to be one in the UK as well. Um, but it's called Buy Up, for those who didn't hear me say it earlier. Since I... Like, is that but I did I wanted to build on the point about money earlier I think the other place that we can have an incredible impact is at the ballot box because we are all equal when we step inside that voting booth and so this is a shame like but the women's equality party is standing 25 candidates in local elections in May in London find your local candidate get involved come see me after <laughs> thank you very much do we have time for I think we have time. I think someone over here has had their hand up yeah, for a while. Yeah, let's go for it. Um, it's more of a comment, really, and following on for quite a few of the questions that have been raised. Um, there's the um, big companies are being compelled to release their pay gap or their pay structure information. And um, we've already seen, I think it's Tesco, where the shop workers and the warehouse workers are not being paid the same despite their work being similar or sim same value. So I think it would be very, very interesting to see when these companies, Dove, Bodyform, whoever else, have been making lots of money off us by saying, hey, we're sympathising with your values, when they come to release this information, I think there might be some interesting things to discover about. I think that's so interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Any men in the audience, to tell every woman you know how much you earn. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. helpful for all of us. That is an important piece of activism. We all think we know, but we'd like to be sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and have we got time for one more, maybe? Yeah, let's go at the back there, if we can. There's Mike just coming to your left. I would like to respond to the... I know uh, there is a text called Global Transparency Index that is published every year for the fashion industry. And if you, for example, you go to the Fashion Revolution campaign campaign website, you can find it and there all the major uh, fashion companies are listed and uh, you can see how they score for different criteria. So in the environmental point of view for the uh, gender gap, uh, gender pay gap, and there's uh, like many, many categories and I think is a great resource for mm -hmm. the fashion industry and all the major uh, hundreds and hundreds of companies are listed in that one and the 2017 is uh, available, 2018 is not released yet. That's very useful. Thank you very much for that. It reminds me actually um, of a great Tumblr that someone made once about what the Daily Mail's cancer and what it says cures cancer. And you could go on and just list it all alphabetically and find that actually a lot of things apparently do both. Um, but yes, I, I think uh, that previous question was right. I would really like something like that. Mm, totally. Yeah. Well, I think we have to finish there because we've run out of time. But thank you very much to everyone. For thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you enjoyed on the show we love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com and if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.